Hi, this is Jeff Steele. Today we're reading John chapter 11, verses 45 through 57. Many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen. But some went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the leading priests and Pharisees called the high council together. What are we going to do? They asked each other. This man certainly performs many miraculous signs. If we allow him to go on like this, soon everyone will believe in him. Then the Roman army will come and destroy both our temple and our nation. Caiaphas, who was the high priest at that time, said, You don't know what you're talking about. You don't realize that it's better for you that one man should die for the people than for the whole nation to be destroyed. He did not say this on his own. As high priest at that time, he was led to prophesy that Jesus would die for the entire nation. And not only for that nation, but to bring together and unite all the children of God scattered around the world. So from that time on, the Jewish leaders began to plot Jesus' death. As a result, Jesus stopped his public ministry among the people and left Jerusalem. He went to a place near the wilderness to the village of Ephraim and stayed there with his disciples. It was now almost time for the Jewish Passover celebration, and many people from all over the country arrived in Jerusalem several days early so they could go through the purification ceremony before Passover began. They kept looking for Jesus, but as they stood around in the temple, they said to each other, What do you think? He, has, he won't come for Passover, will he? Meanwhile, the leading priests and Pharisees had publicly ordered that anyone seeing Jesus must report it immediately so they could arrest him. All right, there's a couple of things about this text that are important to understand, uh, or a couple things that stand out to me. Number one, we see that the religious leaders are mostly thinking about what they stand to lose. Look at what they say in verse 48. They said, If everyone believes in him, the Romans will come, take our temple and our nation. Now, reading that today, you might think, okay, that's a bit of a overreaction, isn't it? I mean, if Jesus, if people believe in Jesus, like how does that impact the Romans and the temple? How, how does that make him a threat? Well, at this time in history, Judea was actually a Roman province. Uh, it was once an independent country, but as Rome was this rapidly spreading empire, uh, it, it went about winning wars and subjugating people everywhere. And so whenever Rome defeated a nation in battle, they annexed it into their territory, and it became part of the Roman Empire, and and the Roman Empire just grew larger. That's how they built it. So Judea was no longer an independent state. They were now under Rome's authority. Um, there's this story that's actually told in, in a different gospel uh, in the New Testament where people ask Jesus, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And that was actually a really loaded question because Caesar of course, is the ruler of Rome, and Rome is an unwelcome, conquering, and occupying force. Judea was subject to Roman rule not by its own choice. It didn't apply for statehood in the Union. Uh, they were taken by force. So what does that have to do with the temple in Jerusalem? Well, whenever Rome would conquer a territory and they would make a new Roman province out of it, uh, they were generally tolerant of local religious customs and local gods as long as the people 
also accepted the Roman gods. Now, that worked most of the time because most of the ancient peoples that Rome conquered, uh, they worshipped many different gods. They had altars to all kinds of different gods. So adding in the Roman gods to their own was really not that big of a deal. Judea was actually kind of a different story because they believed there's only one god, which made accepting the Romans' god out of the question. To this point, Rome had been pretty tolerant of the Jews, even though they really refused to worship the Roman gods, but they had accepted Roman rule, and they were a a subjugated people, even though it appeared to be something of a delicate balance. The Jews maintained the temple, and they maintained their worship of God alone. So even though they didn't like being a Roman province who was subject to the Roman rule, they were kind of making it work the best they could. If Jesus were to come along and change that religious landscape significantly, well, that might be the kind of threat that would prompt Rome to decide there's no more tolerance for these Jewish people and their monotheistic ways. Especially since Jesus kept insisting on all his talk about the kingdom of heaven, uh, really revolutionary kind of talk. People were expecting that Jesus was recruiting an army and and. If that happened, Rome would have no choice but to respond and retaliate. And it wouldn't be just against Jesus. It would be against all the Jews. So the religious leaders were actually really threatened by Jesus, not just because he was a threat to their understanding of Jewish law. They feared that he was a revolutionary who could threaten this tentative political hold on the region. Worst case scenario, they thought this could be the guy who costs us our freedom to worship at all. So, what's a good first century temple Jewish person to do? The high priest decided it would be better just to get rid of Jesus so that the rest of the people could live in peace. That's why he made this statement. He said, it's better for you that one man should die for the people than for the whole nation to be destroyed. Now, what did he actually mean by that? He meant that if uh, Jesus was going to raise trouble with Rome, well, he would have to be stopped at any cost. Better to kill him and end his movement than to risk Roman reprisal against their whole nation. What's incredible to me about that statement is that even though he meant one thing by it, God meant something different. It's one of those statements, and and we see this in the Bible sometimes, and uh, the statement was true when it was said, but it was even more true later on down the line. Because when Jesus died, it, it wasn't just to end this uh, political movement. He He died to change history. Right? Jesus' death is the thing that changes history. A lot of biblical prophecy, particularly in the Old Testament, was kind of like that. It meant something to the original audience that was true and meaningful. But then God eventually, when he put all of the pieces together and you looked back at it, it's like a picture coming into focus. And all of a sudden there's this deeper meaning revealed. And what's interesting to me about that is that God works through this guy, this Caiaphas, using his own words that the high priest himself had chosen, but God used those words to accomplish something that he wanted to accomplish. And that's mind-blowing to me because it makes me think of Proverbs 16, 9, which says, we can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. 
we can make our plans, but the Lord determines the, our steps. It's the old joke, uh, the old joke that says, how do you make God laugh? Tell him your plans. So what does that tell me? Well, for me, it's kind of a reminder of how much better I can see God's plan in hindsight, not always in the midst of it. Have you ever had that experience? Um, when I was in college, I I went to Bible college in Cincinnati, Ohio, and uh, I got into school, decided I was going to go into ministry, and I thought, well, I'm, I'm a young guy, I'm going to go into youth ministry. And uh, so that's what I studied for a while, and a couple years in, I kind of decided, you know, I don't really like kids that much, um, so that's probably not a great fit, and uh, that's another one of those statements that God says, ha! <laughs> yeah, uh, good luck with that. Um, if you knew what I had planned for you. Um, but I, I decided I was going to go into preaching ministry and, uh, that was going to be what I did. So that's what I majored in and did biblical studies and, and all that good stuff. I, I did the, the, the schooling track to be a preacher when I graduated. While I was at school, I got, uh, connected. I've, you know, I've kind of always been interested in music. I went to college. I learned to play guitar. Uh, for the first time, and um, just got kind of plugged in with a lot of music majors, and so I hung out with them a lot, and I ended up doing music teams through school, just kind of for fun. I spent a couple summers traveling with the, you know, singing team from the school, and uh, and all of that it was all was all pretty cool. When I graduated, I was actually I was getting ready to graduate, and I came to this realization. I said, you know, I'm uh, 22 years old. I have no business being a senior pastor at a church. I mean, what do I know about anything other than the Bible, of course? I knew I wanted to go into ministry, and, and I thought two months away or, or one month away from graduation, like it's time to change my career path. Uh, that's not a great idea. Um, so I looked around for something else that I could do. Like I, I still wanted to serve more. And, and at that moment, I realized that I had actually been preparing for a role as a worship pastor for the previous four years. I looked for a job and, and I found a, a little church in a little town called Grand Haven, Michigan, who wanted to hire a worship slash associate pastor, somebody who could lead worship, but then also do other ministry roles. And, and I found myself in this role that I had been preparing for without ever knowing that's where I was headed. And it's moments like that that make me stop and think, oh, that's where I was going. Thanks, God. This is what you were actually preparing me for all along. I just had no idea. So what does that mean for us today, right now? Well, it means I've got a whole lot of reasons to trust that God knows where he's going, even if I don't have a clue. You ever feel like you just don't know where your life is headed? Or you feel like you have to have it all figured out to make sure that you're doing everything exactly right, got to hit all your goals in exactly the right time so that you'll get where you want to go? Well, making plans and goals are a good thing, but do you know what else is a good thing? Remembering that God might have different plans and that if he wants your life to go a different direction, guess what? His way is going to be the way that it goes. 
How many stories have you heard about a person headed one direction only to be rerouted completely by sickness or by a family circumstance or some unforeseen thing that blows their plans all apart? And so I also kind of wonder today, what about you? Are you at a place where things are really falling apart? I mean, are things falling apart right now or maybe are they falling into place? I know that's kind of trite to say it like that, especially because it's a song lyric. Um, but maybe it's true. And maybe if that's you and it feels like your life is kind of falling apart, maybe this is your opportunity to trust that God is going to bring you through it, not in the way that you want necessarily. You might not even end up where you wanted to go necessarily, but that he can use it to bring you where he wants you to be. Because at the end of the day, it's never been about me or what I want. It's what, or, or it's not even about what I will accomplish for God. It's always been about what God wants to accomplish in the world. And if, if I get to be a part of it, if you get to be a part of it, man, whatever that looks like, that is just God's grace. I'm not always going to know what it looks like, but the challenge is to trust in the process that gets me there. In the meantime, I'll just keep making plans and making God laugh. Let's pray. God, my prayer is that whatever the circumstance, wherever things are headed, that we are fully committed to your plan, your plan, your will, your way. Even that the words uh, that come out of our mouths are inspired by you and, and, and they are meaningful and fruitful for the people around us, whether we know it or not. God, help us to walk so closely with you that we can, we can just speak your words. So, we hold our um, plans, our dreams loosely today and trust you with them. Help us to trust you and to follow where you're leading today in your name. Amen. Have a great day.